Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to episode 100, 111 yep. of the Trips. Left Unread podcast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's our 111st birthday, and mm-hmm. we're so excited that you're here with us. Yep. Hi, Evan. Hello. Yeah, we are very old. We are uh, older than Joe Biden, who yeah, man. Uh, apparently doesn't even remember when he was vice president. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot to... There's a lot to um, he's... he's He's uh, soft in the head, I think. <laughs> just Poor Joe. Just fucking mashed potato brains. <laughs> well, it's like brains, he's kind of the point where I don't think you can feel bad or mad at him. He, it's because it's like he can't. He's beyond. Normal I mean, dude. Human uh, yeah, I, I guess we could just talk about this very quickly. But yeah, dude. The the fucking like, I don't even understand how you could ever politically recover from the quote <clears throat> from the special counsel. So we're talking about um, uh, Joe Biden, uh, special counsel. He was being investigated for like having some like documents about Afghanistan. Yeah. And um, the special counsel says um, that Biden came across to investigators as, quote, a well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory, (laughs) which is just like, I like, I don't, I don't know how you could ever pot like it would. That's worse than him being indicted. Yeah, it's insane. It's it's (laughs) like, like, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like unthinkable. It's it's it's. Like, dude, just, just the idea of the, like, the president, the president, a, well, the president, goes. the president, uh, well, he's a well-meaning elderly man, but with a poor memory. Literally, it literally, it would have been better if he got indicted. Done, yeah, that to 100%. Come out. Yeah. If they were like, oh, yeah, he's been fucking. We can't indict him. He's, shit, he's yeah. too senile and fucked yeah, up. Yeah, he, he should be in a home. Yeah. Yeah, it's like unethical for him to run again. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's insane. But yeah, and apparently he doesn't really remember when his son died. And uh, also yeah. was very fuzzy on the dates with wh- in which he was um, vice president. Yeah, didn't remember when it started. Didn't remember when it ended. Yep, very good, sir. Send or who was his volcano. political ally? Who were his political enemies? Mm-hmm. He's he's. That's not. These aren't good signs. I don't know. I. Anyway, um. Yep. Well, I guess with that said, mm-hmm. uh, I've got some more information oh, about a a lovable older gentleman. Uh, who did still have his faculties about him? Uh, yeah. Although you might say that he he also made some faux pas. Uh, that's mm-hmm. right, folks. We're talking, of course, about Genghis Khan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and today I've got a very special installment of my ongoing series uh, on the Mongols, which is actually going to complete the current Mongols cycle that I've been working on since last fall. Um, and then probably take a little break from that because I've got a bunch of other ideas piling up that I'd like mm-hmm. to do for episodes. And um, we will come back to the Mongols, uh, but this is going to be sort of a uh, a full circle moment um, that'll mm-hmm. allow us to take a little breather and not feel like there's some cliffhanger in the narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess without further ado, unless there's anything you'd like to talk about prior, why don't we start the show? Oh, Jaggy. What? Oh, Bojan.
Okay. All right. Um, that's a spoonerism of Joe Biden. Yeah, 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 if yeah, you yeah. Aware. Yeah, yeah. I got it. I sp- I spoon I spooned him. Well, let's worry about. Ken- I spooned the old man. Let's worry about Kangas John. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, <clears throat> all right. So uh, let's let's dive in. So it's 1219 CE. It's the year of the rabbit. Okay. Genghis Khan, he's pushing 60. By our dates that we used for this show, uh, he's 57. But his, his actual year of birth is, as we mentioned months and months and months ago, it's kind of up for debate. But he's around there. He's 57 to 60 years old. And he has, by all accounts, had a fascinating life and a miraculous career. Most recently mm-hmm. capped off with a stunning defeat of the Jurchid-led Great Jin Dynasty in what is now mm-hmm. northern China. That, of course, was the main sort of focus of our last installment of this series. Yes. Uh, and so in that episode, <clears throat> we discussed how the influx of riches and goods and people and animals into the Mongolian steppe after this conquest was pretty unprecedented, uh, at least in the recent history of this region. Not really since Attila the Hun had a steppe Khan achieved so much in such a short time. And for perhaps the first time in centuries, uh, the Mongolian steppe was peaceful and quiet. Mm. Yep. Maybe too quiet. Mm. You see, Genghis Khan had built this new empire basically entirely through constant warfare. And the only mm-hmm. reason his people were now experiencing the relative luxury that they enjoyed was because it had been wrenched from the effete and manicured hands of their sniveling, defeated foes. But the Khan knew that neither the riches nor the peace could last. Because the Mongols, they don't really make stuff. They take stuff. Mm-hmm. So he'd begun a process, sort of like firing up some giant, unstoppable engine that could not simply be left to to run peacefully in you know indefinitely. The engine of the new Mongol Empire needed fuel, and mm-hmm. that fuel could only be found on the field of battle, amidst the trampling of hooves and the smoke of burning cities. Yep. If the empire was to continue to thrive, it was only a matter of time before the Khan would be forced to fight again. Yes. Dun dun dun. And that's what we want. Yeah, I mean that's like that's like why he kicks so much ass. It's, yeah, we don't we don't want a stationary con. No. Yeah. No, he wouldn't be. Fa- I mean, look, he's already he's already we've said this before, but he's already done a good amount of stuff. He's already kicked we way more ass way. than anybody should have expected. But even with all that, there's I mean, a lot of asses out there. There's folks. there's still a lot of asses left. This on is a world Earth. of asses, yeah. and he is a foot. He is ready to kick. <laughs> oh. Um. So last time we talked a little bit uh, about the fact that there were several issues uh, kind of awaiting Genghis Khan upon his return to the Mongolian steppe after the campaign against the Great Jin. Mm-hmm. First, the Siberian tribes of the north had ceased sending their tribute of furs and timber while the horde, the Mongol horde, was away fighting the Jurchids. It Word would be was, pretty cool if somebody uh, sent me tributes of furs. Yeah, and timber would be cool too, but if I was just had like... Admit, not actual real dead animals, you know, mm-hmm. faux, faux fur. Well, you but, can sell real dead animals for a lot more than faux fur. Yeah, I know, but I'm just, for me personally, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to wear a coat of a dead animal. Yeah, but it's not, a, these are trade goods. <clears throat> yeah. And also, if the, you know, you would, it'd be, keep you real warm. Yeah, yeah. No, if it was back then, yeah, for <coughs> sure. Yeah, yeah, I would be swagged the fuck out and like a like, yeah. like hat and shit. Sable. Just like, remember just what like, you, so, you, so many, fo- so, so much like padded fur coats that like my shoulders are just like permanently out. Yeah. 
And you just kind of waddle around. You're like, I, yeah, I, 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 I am like the go, great kind. Yeah, just going full henchman mode or something. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Just, <laughs> wow. Yeah, it would be sweet. It'd, it'd be, it'd fucking kick some ass, man. <laughs> uh, so, so word on the street was that the Siberian tribes up in the north uh, that had stopped sending their tribute uh, of timber and furs had been united under the rule of a powerful female chieftain <clears throat> or queen named Botohui Tarhun. Which basically, I guess, in, in their language, or, or maybe that's what the Mongols called her, uh, meant just, like, big and strong. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and that name goes, too. Yeah, it's it, it like kicks a, ass. Oh, the, I'll tell you what. Wouldn't... People in this part of the world, we've we've said it before, I'll say it again. <laughs> yeah. They know how the fuck to name a person. Like, yeah. everybody's got a kick-ass name. It's just, yeah. your name might be something as simple as Jebe, or it might be <laughs> Botohui Tarhun. And either way, it's, it's yeah. absolutely rocking. Or like Belgutai or Begter. Yeah, Begter. a good. Begter, you know. Belgutai. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of good ones. Teb Tangri. Yeah, Teb Tangri is great, yeah. You know? Um, so there's that. They've got to deal with Botohui Tarhun. Yeah. Uh, and then second, word has come from the Muslim Uyghurs of the West that they are chafing under the rule of the Buddhist Black Kitan. Uh, the Black Khitan were called thus to distinguish them from the branch of the Khitan more familiar to the Mongols, which we actually talked about a little bit last episode. Um, and if you remember, the way that people in this region distinguish between like close relations and distant relations is like black bone and white bone. Um, so these Black Khitan are like a distant branch of, of the Khitan. Uh, and these Khitan themselves have apparently come under the rule of a mysterious new leader and have been really persecuting the Uyghur Muslims under their rule. So this led the, the Uyghur clans. Now, you'll remember, some Uyghurs were, were pledged already to the service of Genghis Khan. Mm -hmm. um, yep. And so they are now entreating their lord to intervene on the behalf of their cousins who are suffering unjustly under the, the yoke of the cruel Buddhists. Mm. Yep. So Genghis, me, sir. <laughs> sir. Sir, 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 please. Please, sir. <laughs> My cousin, sir. <laughs> um, so Jenkins has some business to attend to. And first on the docket is the warrior queen, Botohui Tarhun. Yeah. The Khan himself was in need of some time at home. He's getting older. He's been on the road. He's been just racking up dubs. And all of his advisors are like, you should chill for a little bit, man. You, you, you really like it here. Like, you don't really like traveling. You do it. You're great at it, sir. Mm-hmm. Okay, you don't ever think you're not great at it, but you should stay here for a while. It's, your wife's getting older. You should hang out with her. I'm sure those knees are starting to I mean, scream she's, a little. She's older than him, so she's you know she's yeah. getting up there. Yeah, riding a horse all day. I mean, this dude, my guess is Genghis Khan at fucking 60 could whoop my ass. Oh, any. <laughs> not any, a problem. Probably any <laughs> American's ass, like almost anybody. Yeah, maybe you know? not like an MMA fighter, but yeah, like yeah. any average Joe off the street, yeah. any one of these dudes could, could I mean, probably just, just... Any, any like ancient Mongolian who just spends their entire life on horseback, they're probably just like, yeah. like just muscles rippling out and of a like great, every a great, fucking um, part of their body. A great depiction of that is actually found mm -hmm. in the film Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. When uh, they bring Genghis Khan back to the present and he, like, t uh, takes over the sporting goods store and is, like, doing yeah. kung fu with a baseball bat. Yeah. I don't know if you remember that, but that's yeah. uh, that's pretty fun. Uh, I, bet, I, bet you, I bet you any Mongolian could put some fucking reps in in the squat rack is what I'm trying to say. Oh, sure. Their legs especially. They were just, yeah. uh, they were just on horseback all the time. 
Yeah. And they like invented the stirrup. So like they were standing, yeah. twisting, jumping, running. They were they were no. they were sturdy people. Probably would have looked pretty short. Yeah. You know what I mean? But they probably could have kicked my ass. Yeah. Fucking tree trunk legs. <laughs> Um, so anyway, so he's going to stay, he's going to sit this one out and also it's just, it's Siberia. It's like not that important. They want the furs and stuff, but it's like, look, I'm going to, I'm, I'm on taking my vacation time. Yeah. Uh, so they send an envoy to the queen instead. So when the first envoy they send doesn't return, they're like, okay, they send a second one. They're like, maybe he got lost. Maybe he ran away. But when this guy fails to report back, they're like, all right, we got, we better send some soldiers. Mm-hmm. So they send a, a detachment of soldiers up. Now, Siberia is not now and certainly was not then uh, like the steppe. It's a so land I, of... Just to decide, imagine having to be the, like, like the envoy that has to go second there. And, like, you know, like, you're just yeah. thinking, like... Oh, this would have been scary, too. That's the thing. Shit, like, man, this dude just got fucking hacked to pieces. Oh, yeah. like the siberian taiga yeah man <laughs> and it's like like forests and shit it's it's spooky. like they're just setting you up there by yourself and you're like but also like, like a good idea of just how rugged and brave these were that like yeah. they did it yeah they he was like All i right, mean it wasn't gonna say no to the con but like you just have yeah. to be like damn boy i guess i'll take my imagine being there, more cause... more scared of like a yeah. just a guy than you are of <laughs> taking that trip yeah. Like, yeah. Hey man, do you mind just riding up to Siberia and? Uh... So it's possible the last guy we sent was killed. Um, but maybe he was just you know killed by a tiger or something like that, yeah. and, and not like the yeah. people that we sent him to. It could have been a bear so, or a tiger yeah. or a wolverine or like. <laughs> so, but you know, uh, we're gonna send you next, and you're like, like you look back at the con, you're like, yep, I'll do that shit. Yeah, that sounds like not a problem <laughs> at all. Yep. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> I'll do it quick. I'll be back in time for uh, I'll be back in time for the thaw. Uh, so, so the soldiers are going up, right? And and it's it's not what they're used to. And we talked last time about how they like to travel really spread out. That's mm-hmm. that's sort of like a hallmark of the Mongols. They don't travel in a column. They don't travel in a line. They come together for battles, but they travel spread apart. But heading up into Siberia, they can't really do that. They're kind of forced by the trees to follow these mm-hmm. narrow paths, single file up into the woods. And and that's kind of perfect for the way that the Siberian tribes are used to fighting they're kind of mm-hmm. expert at this form of guerrilla warfare that the mongols haven't really encountered uh yet so this small detachment of soldiers now i mean we're not talking about like a full army we're talking about like maybe like 100 guys 50 guys they get yeah. led into a trap and fucking ambushed and decimated and almost yeah. nobody survives the general who's been sent in charge of this gets killed mm-hmm. uh and botahui tarhun's siberian tribes are like fuck yeah yeah that's right fuck around find out Come mm-hmm. up here, you, you, yeah, you ain't shit. Yeah. And so the couple of stragglers that survive, they run back and they tell Genghis Khan. And he's pissed. He doesn't like that. Yeah, I would imagine he's not very happy. No, he's not stoked with that at all. So he's like, all right, get me my saddle. I'm going to go fucking yeah. kill this bitch. And uh, his advisor's like, no, shut up. Sit down. No. You don't need to go. Like, no. this is, we'll figure this out. And so they come up with a plan. And it's a it's a it's a good plan. It's 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 a very uh, it's a very Mongol plan. So they send another small detachment, the same way as the last one, and they're just banking on the fact that that these uh, Siberian tribes are just going to be like they really are that stupid, huh? They're just going to keep doing the same thing over and over again. Meanwhile, a much larger force of men goes kind of around and they take all their new metal tools that they've looted from the Chinese and Mm -hmm. uh, their new knowledge of of engineering and they Mm -hmm. just start hacking their way up. They start building a new road 
up and around the Botahui Tarakun's uh, encampment. So while their main force is slowly kind of plodding up the usual path, and they're aware that they're being watched, unbeknownst to the Siberians, uh, the Mongol army, like, rapid time is just, like, making a new road up into Siberia. So the Siberians may have been uh, skilled forest warriors, but they'd never really been up against anybody who was willing to literally just, like, chop down the forest and make a new path. Uh, So when the Mongol forces come pouring out of the forest from the wrong direction... The Siberians under under Botui Tarhun are, are scattered and destroyed pretty immediately. So the second envoy, happen, man. yeah, it's it's it's, it's, it's just like well, they didn't know. They didn't know. People don't know I yet guess. what we know. Yeah. We know a lot more, and and this is just another example of like don't just don't fuck around with him. Don't fuck with this guy. That's that's what I'm saying. Like I, I'm not. If he like asks very... you for some furs, it's like not that big of a deal. That's yeah, the thing. he I, might I, want I, you to send <laughs> women too. Send them. Yeah. Just send them. He's because yeah. here's the thing. He's gonna get them. Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> like, that's yeah, the thing about but, Genghis Khan. He's gonna get what he wants. Yeah, but and what I'm saying, this is part of me, just as a, a you know, two. It's like I'm okay being like number two or three or whatever. Like, yeah. you know, what I'm saying, like, I'm I'm okay following orders. Like, yeah. I don't need to be the well, big especially dog. when I'm you see somebody vicious. like this, you're like, oh, that's a guy who was born to be the big dog. That guy seems like he knows what he's doing. I bet you, if I just do what he tells me to yeah. do, and I just probably do, do what pretty he good. Does, I could probably make a pretty good living here. Yeah, and that's the thing. That's what <laughs> like, his most loyal generals all realize. They're like, I'm not him. Yeah. I could never be him. But, but I could be the guy that he trusts. I could be the guy that he trusts. And I'll tell you what, uh, that's a pretty good guy to be. Yeah. He's good to his people. We've talked about that uh, before. If you yeah. do right by Genghis Khan, he's not like some tyrant. Like, yeah. he's 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 good. He's a man of his word. Yeah. He's he, He'll take care of you. He He appreciates having trustworthy uh, like uh, underlings, a hundred percent. Yeah. And once you lose his trust, he will kill you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he'll kill you. So once you gain that trust, you better fucking like white knuckle just yeah, trip dude. it. You <laughs> just do it. what the fuck ever he wants. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so they find the second envoy from before, who they had presumed mm-hmm. dead, and the queen had taken him and made him into her <laughs> concubine. And okay, so, so-, <laughs> so he was just up there fucking dude. So that guy like, that we were talking about like, before when we were like, like, oh, he's it, probably nervous. He's, the whole time he's up there, he's just getting his shit sucked. Yeah, dude. dude he's just like, yo, what's up, boys? <laughs> dude, yeah, so like, oh, he's just fellas, like, good to see you. Have you met, have you met Bibi? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Botahui Tarhun. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, that's I'm, my, I'm sorry, that's my girl. I'm sorry, Bibi. I know, I know. I didn't mean to say it like that. Okay. Um, but yeah, though, like, <laughs> no, no, he's just yeah, like I'm ambling just... up the path worried. He like sees the other dead guy, but then Botahui Tarhun just like looks at him and she's like, yeah. Okay. Nice. Hell yeah. All right. Hell yeah, dude. You got <laughs> yeah, some nice yeah. thighs, dude. Yeah. Uh, so. <laughs> Mongolian thighs. So anyway, uh, they keep her alive and they strip her of her rank, I think. It's actually kind of hard to tell uh, from the sources I read, but mm-hmm. she is then given to the, the envoy as his wife, like officially, as like his reward for his service. Yeah. And I'm not sure if they stay up there and like she continues yeah. to govern or if she has to like come back and be his like housewife now. Um but the Siberians, regardless of who's leading them, they kind of fall out of the narrative. Yeah. It's like clear that they're not really important to the Mongols. And when something's not important to the Mongols, they they really will like kind of let you know in the secret history. Like it's a sentence, maybe. So like they 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 start paying the furs again. Everything's yeah. good. And and he doesn't want this land. This isn't like nice land. He's like, you can keep the fucking forest. Yeah. Please do not stop sending me shit again because I'll come back. Yeah. That's it. That's it. I don't even want to be your king. Just fucking send me stuff. 
yeah. when I ask. Okay. Dude, I, I love that envoy, dude. He's like the Mongolian Stevie Janowski. Yeah, he's like, awesome. He's found it down. He's awesome. <laughs> That's a Just great like com- getting That's a sent great into the wood chipper and coming out with like a wife that you love. Yeah, exactly. And, like, <laughs> yeah, he's, and he like made out like a fucking bandit. He's like, dude. dude. <laughs> oh, you'll you'll let her live? That's awesome. I really like her. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, hell it's, yeah, it's, dude. It's great. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, you know, you have to I'm sure Genghis Khan was like, Yeah, I mean she's she's pretty badass. Like I Yeah, like, I respect the cut of her jib. Yeah. yeah, I'm not gonna kill her. Like I would have yeah. done the same thing. I'll have those furs though from now on. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Um don't do it again. You can keep your wife, just make sure the furs keep coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean the Mongols are nuts, dude. Uh so now the Khan also has the the Uyghurs out west to figure out, which is admittedly a, a much more pressing issue for him. Yeah, the Uyghurs that uh, were under his command already had been some of his most fervent and loyal troops in the Jurchhead campaign, and so when they appealed to him to free their their Western kin from the tyrannical yoke of the Black Khitan, the Khan knew that he he had to make good on this. I mean, they've been nothing but loyal to him, and so you know if he's going to be the type of ruler that he's been saying he is, he needs to do this. But there's another little sweet bonus for him that kind of mm-hmm. gets him into this. So. As I mentioned, the Black Khitan are a branch of the same Khitan people that themselves had been displaced by the Jurchheds uh, a century before and had fled further west towards what is now Xinjiang province, China, and Kyrgyzstan, and Kazakhstan. There they had become the overlords of the native Turkic uh, Muslim Uyghur people, and to then add another layer of confusion on top of that, had themselves recently come under the leadership of an old friend of Genghis Khan from his early days when he was still Temujin. Now remember, do you remember Tayong Khan? Do you remember that name? He was the yeah. leader of the Naiman. I remember uh, the Naiman. Right. Know. So the Naiman had been overthrown by Genghis Khan way back in episode 91 of this show. Mm-hmm. And they were sort of the last of the big step tribes that he had to overcome after he, you know, beat Ong Khan and beat Jamuka and whatever. He had to beat mm-hmm. the Naiman. Yeah. And that's after that, he became Genghis Khan. Yeah. Uh, well, I mentioned back then that Guchlug, the son of Tayang okay. Khan. Banging fucking name. Right? Guchlug. Like a sick name. That's just a straight up orc name from, yeah. you know, fucking Guchlug. That's his Guchlug. name. So Guchlug, hungry. who is the sort of loser son uh, of the Tayang Khan, he no, had escaped Temujin's grasp back then and he ran off to parts unknown. Well, guess what? Oh. He ran all the way, like 2,000 miles away. And through, like, sort of smooth talking and trickery and that Mongol swag, uh, he had also found himself a royal bride and married into the ruling the ruling family of the Black Khitan and found himself a couple years later as the Khan of the Black Khitan. So he's now Khan Guchlug. Now, Guchlug himself was a Christian, uh, and his, his Black Khitan underlings were Buddhist, but one thing they both hated and mistrusted was Muslims. So the Uyghurs under their rule had been stripped of any religious freedoms. They're not even allowed to do the call to prayer. You know, they're not allowed to do any of the stuff that they want to do. And it's really – that's bothering them, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so it's, it's crazy that you can get that far east like this early on and have like Christian like rulers and shit. Oh, yeah. I mean, the steppe was mm-hmm. extremely religiously diverse. We talked about yeah, yeah. that in the first episode of the series. Like, it's mm-hmm. it's remarkable. And when, when Westerners, like, uh, first start making their way out there, that's one of the first things. And I think what we realize now as, as you know, either enthusiasts or historians mm-hmm. is that it was like that a l- long time before Genghis mm-hmm. Khan went out and started this whole kind of cross-pollination thing, yeah. um, which he gets really into. And um, there's obviously more diversity 
after they conquer the jerk heads. And then there will be even more after this episode. But um, they were already a very religiously diverse people, which is interesting because it's not a densely populated part of the world. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know that you had like the like Jewish uh, Jewish step people, too. Obviously, that those are the the Khazars. Yeah. The Khazars who uh, um, who, uh, kind of populated Hungary or the area that's now Hungary. Yeah. But, uh, Before the yeah. uh, the Magyars came in. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, <clears throat> where do you know that from, Crusader Kings? Yeah. You already know. I know it from. Honestly, that. <laughs> that, that, if 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 Paradox funded this podcast with just like free uh, DLC for that game, I would. Oh be, I would take it. Yeah. Because <laughs> like, we plug that shit more than anything else in the world. Uh, I I would say that we've probably mentioned Crusader Kings in at least one third of our episodes. Yeah, it's it's crazy. It comes, <laughs> especially these ones where it's like yeah. about conquest and that sort of time yeah. period. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's awesome. Uh, so Genghis Khan orders Jebe, who is the Khitan noble who had helped him restore the eastern Khitans to their lands or po- some of their lands mm-hmm. after the the Jurched campaign um, last time. Jebe is going to lead an army west and deal with this shit. Now, because this was a war of liberation uh, and was done as a favor to the Uyghurs, the Great Khan ordered that there be no looting or raising or destruction. Uh, This is not a war for profit. This is a war to help the Uyghurs and to get rid of uh, Guchlug Khan. So Jebe, I mean, he smashes into the land of the Black Khitan. He's had all this practice fighting the Jurchads, which the Black Khitan are not. And he Mm -hmm. fucking trucks them and just crushes them and Guchlug again tries to flee he's pursued relentlessly captured and then just like beheaded like a dog in the dust mm-hmm. which is what happens you'll start to notice a trend mm-hmm. you might think you're hot shit you could be the greatest whatever you are in your part of the world mm-hmm. Genghis Khan starts coming it, you, it's not going to be you for long yep he 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 he, he goes out undefeated Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> so the history, the secret history of the Mongols sums this entire campaign up in one sentence. Mm-hmm. Jebe pursued Guchlug Khan of the Naiman, overtook him at the Yellow Cliff, destroyed him, and came home. That's it. Low, <laughs> low priority. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, the great Khan hadn't even taken the field himself. But he did, however, uh, issue an edict proclaiming complete religious freedoms for not only the Uyghurs, but everyone in that region, um, as he had already done for all of those under his protection. And he also accomplished two key things with this campaign. Uh, first, it showed him that his generals and armies could be trusted to maneuver effectively literally thousands of miles away. Because, I mean, this is 2,500 miles away from his camp in Mongolia uh, without him even being present and that they will follow his orders uh, to a T. Yep. And second... He gained complete control uh, with this victory over the stretch of the Silk Road that connected the southern Song Dynasty, uh, what we would know of as the Chinese, and the Muslim lands of the Middle East. He is now the, the complete overlord of the, that part of you know, what we now call the Silk Road, which is just mm-hmm. the collection of overland routes that allowed Chinese goods to reach as far as Europe. Mm-hmm. So he didn't control the means of production, and he didn't control the market for the products, but control on the road is pretty sweet. That's so cool. Yeah. And Genghis wants to leverage this ASAP. Plus, mm-hmm. he's starting to hear there's some pretty amazing shit going on in the Middle East, and he wants mm-hmm. access to that. So he decides to reach out and try his hand at diplomacy with the nearest and most powerful Muslim ruler, the Turkic Sultan Muhammad II of the Empire of Khwarezm, or the Khwarezmian Empire. Thank you.
So Genghis Khan had a stranglehold on the Southern Song's uh, export of like silks and porcelain and jade and mm-hmm. silver. And he knew that the Muslim lords of the Middle East not only had a great appetite and desire for these things, but also that they themselves were fabulously wealthy and possessed of their own valuable exports, both material and immaterial. Mm-hmm. The Muslim world at this point in 1219 was basically by any metric the most advanced cultural sphere on earth. Yeah. Uh Islam was led by the caliph from his capital in Baghdad, uh, which is is at this point totally ascendant. And like, if there was a city that I could visit on Earth at any time, Baghdad in the 1300s is I'm sorry, in the 13th shortlist. century is definitely shortlist. Like, it just yeah. it, it's it's a center of everything. Yeah. Ancient Babylon would be sick too. Ancient Babylon would be cool. Dude, I would love to go to the like hanging gardens and shit. Ancient Fuck Memphis yeah. would be sweet. Yeah, um, Tenochtitlan in oh, uh, yeah, of course yeah. the Aztec capital, I think, would be yeah. That for me might be number one, and also ancient Rome is probably up there. But Tenochtitlan might be number one mm-hmm. just because like the way it's described and where mm-hmm. it was on the lake, like that's some pretty magic stuff. Uh, it mm-hmm. would have been jarring because there was sacrifice and stuff going on, but like yeah. It was also just like a, a land of wonders. I don't know. There's yeah. some cool cities. So Baghdad is on that list, right? Like, yeah, yeah. The way that Baghdad in this period that. is 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 just one of the all time great human achievements uh, mm-hmm. as a city. And uh, so that's sort of the center of the Islamic world, and that world is experiencing uh, or has been experiencing kind of a centuries long renaissance of art, philosophy mathematics poetry metallurgy military tactics basically anything that you can think of they're sort of leading the charge in at this point yeah and genghis khan wants in on all of this uh he wants people that understood uh, this this magic algebra that the muslims have invented he's like what's an imaginary number i just found out about numbers like six weeks ago now there's imaginary numbers and he I also can count to 10 yeah you can count to imagination <laughs> how do you count to x uh, what the fuck, and then he also wanted uh, like things like Damascus steel, which you yeah. know at this point steel itself it exists elsewhere, but not to this level of of purity. Um, but also iron weapons are still just really prevalent. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like um, people talk about the Iron Age and then like sort of the the Steel Age or whatever. Um, <laughs> but iron doesn't like stop being in use. Yeah, not everybody has access to steel, especially at this point. Um, this is still kind of like early medieval to like mid medieval period. Um, so steel, especially well, in this part of the, is this yeah, like high well, medieval? Well, 
yeah, it would be like high medieval, starting to get towards late medieval. Well, steel is still expensive, and especially Damascus steel, if you know anything about it, is really high quality. Um, they've got carbon mixed in, uh, which allows it to have this kind of cool wavy pattern, but it's also stronger. It's just less brittle. Um, and so you can make really good stuff. And so like, he wants all of that. He wants to have smart people yeah. around him, and he also wants to have better swords and shit. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know what? He doesn't want it in some rude, bully, conqueror way. He just mm-hmm. wants a trade agreement. Simple as. Mm-hmm. So he pens a letter, or realistically, he has a Chinese or a Jurched scribe pen a letter for him, mm-hmm. to the Sultan of Khwarizm. And basically he said, hey, you know the deal with me. I'm sure you've heard what I do. I'm kind of picturing him like Quint and Jaws. You know what I do. You know what I do yeah. for a living. <laughs> uh, but look, I have all this money and all this fucking awesome Chinese shit now. And I hear you guys have some amazing stuff of your own going on. I have no desire. Ball, I'm the one who throws it faster than fuck. Yeah, exactly. And that is why I'm better than everybody else in the world. <laughs> You're Kiss fucking out. <laughs> and suck my dick, everyone. <laughs> um... <clears throat> So he's like, I, you know, I have no desire for conflict. I've conquered enough. I don't need more land. Uh, so why don't we share our cool stuff and we'll both prosper? And you know what? Even though he was a little suspicious, Muhammad II, yeah. the Sultan, agrees to the treaty and yeah. uh, he invites Genghis Khan to send a delegation. And the, the Khan is elated. And so he puts together a group of like 450 merchants from all over. Mm-hmm. Um he had met a bunch of Indian merchants when he uh, went over and liberated the Uyghurs or whatever, had had them come to him. Um, and so he, he le- has one of these like skilled Indian merchants lead this caravan. And uh, they send a message of friendship and mutual prosperity and mm-hmm. give him a bunch of basically gifts like uh, silks and just to say, like, hey, this is the type of stuff we can offer you. Uh, I think this is a really good treaty. And so they send this caravan out, and he basically sits back, and he's like, all right, I'm going to wait for the good news. This is going to go super well. I've never done diplomacy, but apparently it's easy as fuck. Uh, Great. Now, the empire of Khwarezm, or the Khwarezmian Empire, was itself fairly young as an independent state. Uh, They had previously been a vassal state to numerous other regional powers, but only about 12 years prior to Genghis Khan's own sort of empire or mongol ulus being founded um did it kind of gain independence and so they had their own internal issues with stability and control um and this is kind of becoming a theme in the series and you'll see this is sort of true in lots of parts of the world at this time uh the people in this area are culturally persian um and they are sunni muslim and they have been ruled over by a turkic ruling class uh, and so let's just say that not all the Sultan's vassals are as insanely loyal as the Khan's mm-hmm. vassals are to him. Mm-hmm. So when the Mongol caravan crosses into the northeastern Khwarezmian Empire, the local governor is like, oh, sick, free stuff. And he just, oh, he just, <laughs> oh, atrocious move by any, by any estimation. Because <laughs> he doesn't realize he's like, ah, what are these fucking dirty barbarians? Yeah. And thank you. And he kills, he kills everybody. Uh, and he takes all the stuff. Well, word travels quicker than you'd think and gets back to the con that this has happened. Uh, nobody in the world should have been surprised that somebody would be greedy and stolen that. But Genghis Khan yeah. was. He was legitimately surprised. He was like, That's, none of my guys would ever do that. Uh, Wait, you're telling me the guy <laughs> who is the underling of the guy that I just talked to decided to uh, big boy his uh, 
his liege. Yeah. And he's like, what kind of fucking dog and pony show are you running over there, buddy? Like, <laughs> what kind of fucking Mickey Mouse empire Are, are is this? you the king or whatever? Or, yeah. like, are you not? Yeah. He's like, none of my guys would be that fucking stupid. Yeah. Uh, and you know what? If they did, I would do something pretty bad to them. So he sends Kill an envoy. He sends, he sends a bunch of ambassadors and says, yeah, I'm going to expect you to uh, do something about this, please, to the sultan. Yeah. And uh, he demands that the governor... All your stuff is with your vassals, so you may want to go get it from your yeah, vassals. Yeah, if you want it, you should... And you know what? The sultan, uh, Sultan Mohammed II... And I'm still considering delivery made, so... Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, this is all up in the air, but, like, you could... It's A good start would be uh, if you sent me that guy's head. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. you know what Sultan Muhammad II, master of the Khwarezmian Empire, lord of the ancient lands of Persia, does? He fucking goofs. That's what he does. He didn't, he didn't do good. Oh, he's going to goof. He's going to goof real bad. Yep. So we're seven episodes in here, right? At this point, you, the listener, and you, Evan, have spent hours getting to know Genghis Khan slash Temujin. So you know he's not like a guy who's going to let this just sort of roll off his back. Mm-hmm. He takes things personally. He gets results. So when the Sultan of Khwarezm receives his envoys, and instead of punishing the governor who stole from the Mongol Khan, he laughs. He has some of the envoys put to death, and then he cuts up the faces of the rest and scars them permanently, sends them home, and tells Genghis Khan to fuck off. When that happens, what do you think he did? I think Genghis Khan probably stomped his dick and balls into the ground. <laughs> just fucking just heel so, uh, balls and just smushed it into the dirt. So if your if your guess was that uh, Genghis Khan climbed sacred Burkhan Khaldun and offered a prayer to the holy mountain in the eternal blue sky, asking for the strength to exact ruthless bloody vengeance upon those who had besmirched his honor, get a gold star for the day because that's exactly what he does. He climbs that mountain, he says the prayers, and he says, "Lord, forgive them, for they know not what they've done." Uh, so the horde is mustered at full strength, and they set out in 1219. And, uh, you know, I think the Khwarezmians up until now have just been like, oh, there's a desert on that side. Nobody can cross the desert. But they haven't met the Mongols. The Mongols love crossing deserts. They're like, this fucking rules. This is easy. So uh, they set out with one thing in mind, teaching lessons. So they arrive in spring of uh, next year, 1220, the year of the dragon. But not only do they arrive in Khwarezmian territory, they arrive in the fucking middle of Khwarezmian territory. <laughs> and everyone's like, ah, ah, ah. Like, full Mongol army just there in the middle of the empire. And yeah. they, they start going to work. And, and they're doing it. Just like erupting like the horde. Yeah. Yeah, like out <laughs> of the like, ground. Yeah. yeah it's like it's unbelievable. <laughs> and um, when I tell you that, that they do the damn thing, I mean, brother... They yeah. do the damn thing. They had some real good practice against the Jurchheads, and yeah. they're just doing the same shit. I'm not going to go into the same amount of detail about like the way they fought uh, this time, because frankly, a lot of the same stuff that worked against the Jurchheads is going to yeah. work here. Fighting people that live in cities proves to be pretty easy for Genghis Khan. They mm-hmm. all kind of act the same way. They all kind of do the same shit. And he's yeah. just like, that eh, works literally every time. And <laughs> Those soft city boys. Yeah, they are soft. Yeah. So Khwarezm, the entire empire, is decimated inside a year. And within a year from sending that stupid fucking message, Muhammad II is, like, mortally wounded, dying on, like, a tiny island in the middle of the Caspian Sea, like, shaking his head and wondering what the fuck just happened. His entire <laughs> world has been dismantled, uh, and he's just like, uh, 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 but we know yeah. what, what happened, don't we, folks? Yeah.
Hey, yo, lesson here, baby. You come at the king, you best not miss. Meanwhile, uh, well, Sultan Muhammad is on his deathbed, getting that out of the way. Uh, Genghis Khan was doing something that, according to the secret history of the Mongols, he did only once, this one time. He was riding gloriously through the gates of the conquered Khwarezmian city of Bukhara to personally witness the final stages of the capture of the city. Uh, it's said, and you know who knows how true this is, this is a propaganda piece as much as a piece of history, but it's yeah. said that, that Genghis Khan spent every single night of his life in a tent under the eternal blue sky, and that his disdain for the high walls and ceilings of cities was such that he never bothered to enter any of the cities that he conquered. So I don't know. Maybe this one just felt especially sweet. He was in the right yeah. mood, and he was like, oh, "I should see what they're all so fucking bent out of shape about." But I'll tell you what, I, I do hit doubt on that. Maybe a little. Yeah, bit. I'm oh, guessing he's he spent yeah. maybe a little bit more than one one night in the city. Yeah, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. I'm sure he did. But what's yeah. what seems to be true is that he didn't really get the hype. Like he was yeah. kind of like this. He definitely preferred the year. Yeah, life. he's like, this is not this is not for me. Like this sucks yeah. pretty bad. Like who wants to live like an animal in a cage? Like yeah. I'll, I'll take the tent, thanks. Yeah. But either way, revenge was had, and the whole Mongol army is like, well, we're here. Like, that wasn't super hard. Uh, we could, like... There's more of these fucking things. Yeah, he's like, we could keep <laughs> going if you want us to. Yeah. And Genghis Khan, who was totally disillusioned by the breakdown of his one attempt at peaceful diplomacy, figured, eh, like, I'm already here. I do want all this stuff. I'm just going to take it the way that's been working for me. So over the next four years, they conquer everything, everything and everyone uh, that they come into contact with, more than doubling the already considerable area under their control. They took so many cities and so many regions that, uh, to quote Bill Weatherford, the names seem to run together in a numbing sequence of syllables in a dozen languages. Mm-hmm. Bukhara, Samarkand, Otrar, Urgench, Balkh, Banakat, Kojend, Merv, Nisa, Nishapur, Termez, Herat, Bamiyan, Ghazni, Peshawar, Kazvin, Hamadan, Ardavil, Marage, Tabriz, Tbilisi, Durbent, Astrakhan. The armies of Genghis Khan crushed every army wherever they found them, from the Himalayan mountains to the Caucasus mountains, from the Indus River to the Volga River. Each conquered city had its own story that followed a mildly different course of events, but the results never varied. No city withstood their onslaught. No citadel survived unshaken. No prayers could save the people. No officials could bribe or talk their way out of submission. Nothing could slow, much less stop, the Mongol juggernaut. There, It's like, it's fucked. Yeah. It's fucked. And so there's, you can, know... For, for our uh, geographically challenged listeners... Um, uh, Cameron just basically described like the vast majority of the Asian continent, and, yeah, continent, and also parts of like the Indian subcontinent. Area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's if you look at a map, this is uh, in like, four years. This is stunning. Yeah, you're basically looking at like extreme Eastern Europe, uh, all the way down to like the the subcontinent, all the way to the fucking Pacific Ocean. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All, all the way up into siberia he knows he he now controls and everything then to from, the middle east from well. korea and north china yeah. all the way to like the the volga river which is like the traditional border between uh, asia and eastern europe yeah um and he did more than half of that in like four years like just because yeah. he was already there taking care of business 
It's he didn't like, even yes. really want it. He just was like, "I'm here." I, I'm I mean, pissed. that's like when that's like late game when you're playing Crusader Kings. Yeah, you just know, start. So like, I'm just gonna mega blob. I'm not even. Yeah. I'm not even enjoying it anymore. Yeah. Oh, and, kingdom. And in, oh. in CK, you're just like, "Ah, well, my sons might not even be able to hold this all, but <laughs> yeah. I can take it." So, oh, another kingdom. Oh, yeah. I just thought add it to my pile. Yeah. Right. I've got all the perks <laughs> that let me just declare as many wars as I want. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> So during this time, a rumor spread that the Arab caliph in Baghdad had actually asked the Khan to come and destroy his non-Arab rivals in the region as punishment for straying from the true light of Islam. Uh, the story was that he had had that, that request tattooed on a man's forehead and then obviously covered by his turban uh, mm-hmm. to avoid the message being intercepted. Apparently, he also sent a gift of a captured Crusader regiment to aid the Khan in his conquest, which is a cool thought. That'd be a fun, like, stupid movie starring, like, Vin Diesel or something. Um, But Genghis Khan, having no use for heavy infantry, he saw them in their armor and shit and was like, lame. And so he just, like, let them free. And it's said that these men uh, fleeing back towards Europe were some of the first people to bring news of the Mongol hordes. People were definitely, like, hearing what was going on i mean the world was not as closed off as we seem to think it was but um that's a fun story i think likely an apocryphal rumor but um genghis khan loved shit like that like we've talked before how like he if he heard a story about him that made him sound like the freakiest son of a bitch on the planet he was like dude fuck yeah print that sell it like i he loved it um everywhere he went as he had in the jurchhead campaign he let survivors spread just the most insane stories about him inflating tales of his cruelty and the kill count and all of that uh it's said that he sent to korea for like two hundred thousand pieces of paper uh to aid in the dissemination of propaganda among the highly literate muslim population because unlike most of the world at this point pretty much everybody at least a few people in every village in the middle east could read to like read the quran so they're just the most literate society on earth so he's like yeah fuck it if they like reading i'll give them some shit to read <laughs> like so he starts having people write up like propaganda posters and just spread oh, yeah. them around and shit um obey <laughs> in reality as he had been in the jurchid campaign and was in all of his campaigns he's actually generally outnumbered pretty substantially by his enemies at this point um they're just way less adept at command and unprepared for step tactics and the sort of like unparalleled perfection of mongol warfare for this period in time looting was streamlined and perfected during this period uh, and the mongol horde treated stripping a city of its wealth as sort of a methodical matter of course there's no more mm-hmm. funny business everything's going back to the con getting spread out equally yeah. uh soldiers and nobility are just killed outright they're not fucking with that anymore anyone yeah. able-bodied or literate or trained in a useful skill is either sent back to the step to get to work and start you know doing whatever or they're used as labor for the war machine and anyone else who's like just not useful in any way is either turned mm-hmm. loose or just killed um special disdain and you're gonna love this was yeah. shown for the elite ruling classes in conquered cities which nice. shocks everyone in the fucking world the europeans yeah. that's part of why this is honestly a huge reason why the legend of genghis khan is that he's this evil person it's because yeah. he showed absolutely no respect for existing nobility uh yeah. if anything he was like no they literally every single time i've ever tried leaving them alive or working yeah. with them the second you leave they it's like they forget what just happened and they start fomenting against you mm-hmm. i'm not wasting any more fucking time on nobles and like douchebags and fucking silk robes dead just kill them just kill them i don't want to fucking hear it so the more things change <laughs> the more they stay the same exactly those are always called the evil ones yep 
Unlike in European <laughs> warfare, where the peasants yeah. are kind of slaughtered wholesale while their gentlemanly elites enjoy the dignity of capture and parley and ransom, the Mongols don't really need the ransom because they're going to take it anyway. So <laughs> they just don't have any practical use for an existing yeah. ruling class. Uh, so they took their shit, killed them. Uh, I, I'm still I'm still laughing at the ones that like they were so useless they didn't even bother killing them they just cut them free. Well, because like, they, I mean, they spread the rumors. Yeah, they let but just them... like imagine being that guy like you're leaving you're like, huh? Really? Yeah. I could even. Well, remember though? Do you remember in the Jerche campaign when yeah. they liked when refugees would flood cities? Yeah. Because then the city wouldn't have yeah. enough food. There'd be panic. There'd be yeah. disease. And then they they show up and it's already like softened and ready. That, like they're just yeah, they're that just would, good that would just this. have to be the most depressing way to ever be yeah. rewarded with your life. You're like, damn, really? I can't even just like tan the leather. Or yeah, anything. right. Like you don't. Are you <laughs> sure you don't need somebody to like feed the camels? I or? can I can you know some arrows or something. I, can, I give you know, fucking I'm, awesome I can hand fletch, jobs. I can dude, fletch like. some arrows. Yeah, yeah. I can jerk off the horses. I can polish <laughs> the their horses, cocks. dude. <laughs> oh my god. I'll polish um, the cons, <laughs> horses' cock. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> Okay, so so instead he he preferred you know as we've talked about to promote from the peasantry or from within his own ranks when installing new governments because he wants rulers who know where their power comes from. He wants mm-hmm. them indebted to him, yeah. not to like tradition or the Pope or some other yeah. fucking king. Nah, you know why you're the fucking Duke of blah blah blah? Cause I say so. Yeah. Don't forget to send me my shit. Bye. Yeah. Uh, and it's during this this period that the infamous quote made famous in modern times by Arnold Schwarzenegger in the film Conan the Barbarian was attributed to the great Khan. How, Darjeeling? We've won again. This is good. But what is best in life? The open step. Fleet horse. Falcons at your wrist. And the wind in your hair. Wrong! Conan! What is best in life? To crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and to hear the lamentation of their women. That is good. That is good. Yeah. But again, even if he wasn't into dramatic pronouncements like that, uh, he fucking loved that people thought that he was. Mm-hmm. He was all about having a solid rep. And the truth is, there's little real evidence to suggest that the Mongols reveled in cruelty and torture uh, in the same way that their, quote, civilized foes tended to. Um, yeah. Sure, they they absolutely killed people on a massive scale, and like I'm not going to pretend that this wasn't like brutal warfare, uh, but it was generally the city folk who engaged in like the real sicko shit whenever they captured Mongols. Things like mm-hmm. having men dragged behind horses through the city and then feeding them to dogs, or like driving nails through their skulls and building towers out of their severed heads. Um, these are like mm-hmm. civilized people scare tactics. The Mongols didn't really care for this sort of shit uh, generally, owing largely to their taboo around blood and death. Uh, mm-hmm. They don't get off on like torturing folks. Like they'll yeah they'll massacre a city, but like they're not gonna do weird stuff to your body. You know that's just like, that's just lunch pail nine to five massacre. Yeah, they don't they don't think it's not that for like pleasure. Yeah, they, they exactly <laughs> maybe maybe they like it, but they don't yeah. derive pleasure from like torture and stuff like yeah. that. It's just not not their style. It just doesn't make yeah. sense. So it wasn't the gruesomeness of their actions uh, at the time that really inspired so much fear of the Mongols. It's the sort of brutal speed and efficiency with which they dismantle the existing order and install their own. And they're just swatting away the most powerful lords and armies on Earth like their mosquitoes. Just doom stacks. You know, because here's the thing. I don't want to I don't want to give you guys the impression that like any of these sultans or whatever are like pushovers. I mean, they have 
modern equipment, oftentimes better than the Mongols. They have ancient civilizations and they've been warring with each other forever. So it he really is that guy. Mm-hmm. Like it's not like he's coming in. I'm sure some of them are are, are awful at it, but the Quarzmian mm-hmm. Empire that was an empire won through conquest. You know, exactly. it wasn't like you know, it wasn't some like totally useless military establishment like they they mm-hmm. knew what was up yeah and they still just got absolute like nine months flummoxed just yeah, yeah just wrecked uh in fact several times uh conquered cities found their treatment by the mongols to be so kind of tame and benign that they would revolt almost immediately once the main horde left the area uh and and then yeah, they were like oh well they won't be back this way they've already you know conquered us they weren't counting on the fact that like genghis khan is like no i'll turn back yeah. <laughs> we'll turn the car around. Yeah. And he would. He would come back, and then he would slaughter everyone wholesale and raise the city. So usually if, like, everyone in the city got killed, it's because you were trying some fuck shit. Yeah. You know? He didn't just do that. What well, used to him is a city with no one living in it. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, he's not an idiot. He's not an animal. He's really mm-hmm. smart. So, uh, in specific instances, the Mongols could be cruel. Um, but generally, it's it's as a response to a perceived slight. Uh, so, for example, when the Khan's son-in-law, uh, Tokuchar, was killed by an arrow outside the city of Nishapur, the Khan allowed his grieving pregnant daughter to decree the punishment for the city. And obviously, she was hormonal. She wasn't having the best time. So she's no. like uh, death to everybody. So they killed everyone in the city. No. Uh, later, in a battle in the Bamiyan Valley of modern Afghanistan, when mm-hmm. Genghis Khan's favored grandson, Mutugen, was similarly killed by an arrow, uh, he and the boy's father, Chagatai, um the Khan found out before chagatai and so he summoned him to his tent and he said like before i tell you what i'm about to tell you do not shed a tear like don't leave this tent crying mm-hmm. use it we'll kill all of them because uh, yeah. they were both super sad and there are plenty of examples in the secret history of Genghis khan crying like mm-hmm. he's not this like stone cold person but in situations like this like he knew how to take that and turn it into like murderous fury and yeah. he, so they wiped out the population of the entire valley, which would later uh, be resettled by the Hazara people, who are a modern mm-hmm. ethnic group. Uh, and Hazara, yeah, they're still there. Yeah, they're, they're still, still there. there in Afghanistan. Not treated well. Uh, and their their name means ten thousand, uh, which is derived from the belief that they were formed by uh, a tumen of ten thousand men of the mm-hmm. Mongol army who settled in this region. Uh, Muslim scholars throughout all of this are claiming like outrageous death tolls for some of these cities and regions, often numbering in like the millions, which is crazy. Yeah. Like those, like, yeah, he came, he killed two million people. It's like no. there weren't there weren't two million people, right? Like yeah, yeah, you get that <laughs> shit in ancient sources too. I forget who oh, it yeah. was, but somebody claimed. Um, uh, I forget. I forget which uh, uh, king it was, like in uh, the ancient Mediterranean, but that they like killed thirty million people. Yeah. And it was like, that was like the entirety of anybody around yeah. just like Europe and North Africa and, yeah. and the Levant and shit. Like, I know Julius Caesar would do yeah. shit like that. I don't know if he ever said 30 million, but yeah, he, no. he would he would pump his numbers up. Like, no. Um, but so like to achieve some of the numbers given, an example being uh, the historian Juzjani, uh, his claim that the Mongols killed 2.4 million people in the city of Herat alone. Um, <laughs> each Mongol soldier would have had to like personally kill upwards of like 350 people like during this entire like campaign 2.4 million people is a big city today yeah right and so (laughs) like it's just not it's just ridiculous so again we've still got this like idea that he killed all these people he probably he killed a lot of people 
Yeah. But nothing close to what, like, the old sources say he did. It just, not yeah. only would it be impractical to expect every single man in your army to kill 350 people, yeah. right? But, like, there just aren't, there's no evidence of it. You know, it's the Middle East, so it's not like it's, like, swampy and, like, the it preserves bones and shit really well. There's yeah. never been one, one archaeological find to substantiate a massacre on this level. Like, not nothing mm-hmm. even close, right? Yeah. So, like, it's just not, it's just not happening. Um, so they are definitely bad news, but mostly it's because what they do is they defeat armies of powerful lords who then go and cry about it. They destroy cities and they like to ruin farmland because they, you know, remember when they, they left the Jurchhead area, they trampled the farm so that grasslands would take back over. They like knowing that if they have to come back, there's going to be places for their horses to graze. They don't have much use for farms, but they do love like a big field of grass. They like grass. Yeah. Um, they just weren't as big into like wanton slaughter as as Muslim and later Christian scholars would would have had us believe. Thank you. 
So all the while this campaign is taking place, the Great Khan is being forced to confront the fact that seems to kind of loom up at him out of nowhere. Uh, he sort of starts to realize, like, oh, I'm not going to um, be here forever. I'm going to die no matter what. Yeah. And so as the campaign wore on, he starts to feel his age. He's in his 60s now, uh, miles and miles on horseback, sleeping in tents, just eating dried meat and drinking irag. It's taking its toll. Um, so it's at he this point. Have some bunions. He, he probably his bunions. feet are probably wretched. Fucked up. Dude. His feet are probably <laughs> wretched, dude. No part <laughs> like of this man. Ingrown hairs. Oh, and he probably shit. smells or uniquely toenails. horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, his feet are probably just green. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to think about it. <laughs> so it's at this point that he realized, uh, almost as if all at once, that he has these four like now middle-aged sons that yeah. are going to inherit the entire empire that he's building. Yeah. Um, and we talked in earlier episodes about his his distrust of his family. Uh, he really doesn't like leaning on them. Um, and that goes back to early days, suffering under an absentee father and a, a domineering older half-brother. R.I.P. Mm-hmm. Begter. What's up, Beg? Beggy. Yeah. He's not a good brother. <clears throat> no. But he also did get, he got done dirty. Well, he had shown his sons some degree of the same disinterest that he had shown his brothers for much of his career. And he now began to realize that though they're all in their late 30s and early 40s, they hadn't really been allowed to truly distinguish themselves or to like learn valuable lessons from their father that mm-hmm. he himself had fought so hard to glean from decades of experience. Now, in Mongol tradition, the holdings of a father would be divided up between his sons, animals, whatever. Most Mongol fathers don't have half the fucking world to divvy up. Uh, but there's no primogeniture here. Um, so his plan is to do that uh, when it comes to the inheritance that he's going to leave his own sons. Now, his goal was to divide the empire roughly into four. Not necessarily equal, um, but commensurate to the abilities of the four sons. Um, and then one of those sons would serve as the great Khan over the rest. Now, each would govern his own lands, but would appeal to the Great Khan in any matters of dispute. And in turn, the Great Khan was expected to seek the advice of the other brothers when making decisions of state. Mm-hmm. So he calls kind of a family Kurultai, and Jochi, Chagatai, Ogade, and Tolui are summoned to their father's tent to decide this issue. Here, it becomes clear to the Khan that not only had his influence over his sons eroded over years of neglect... But they showed the same lack of loyalty towards one another that he had felt for his own siblings. Mm-hmm. I guess the kids kind of needed that that daddy time. The kids are not all right. They're not all right. So Jochi and Chagatai, who are the eldest and the second eldest respectively, look ready to fight each other the second they walk in. Uh, Ogade, who's the third, who's usually a pretty nice guy, uh, but he's also an alcoholic. And he looks like he's a little sauced. And then mm-hmm. Tolui, the youngest, is just kind of brooding in the back of the gear, not really mm-hmm. participating. So the Khan begins the meeting by outlining his desire uh, that the four of them should split the realm with one presiding as the great Khan. And then he invites Jochi as eldest to share his thoughts first as they open up the discussion. Now, Mongol culture places heavy emphasis on order of things like speaking, eating, drinking, walking uh, as indicators of status. And so inviting Jochi to speak first likely indicated to the, uh, to the other brothers that their father favored him as the next great Khan. Mm-hmm. Enraged, Chagatai blurts out a question before his brother could even speak. So what you're saying, you're saying it's Jochi. Now, before the Khan could reply or rebuke his son, Chagatai continued, How could you expect us to be ruled by the bastard son of some Merkid? That's a brutal dig. Now, you remember, the boy's mother, Borte, had been captured by Merkids around the same time of Jochi's conception way back when. Mm-hmm. 
And so questions of his parentage had been whispered ever since. Nobody really dared to bring it up in front of Genghis Khan, though, who loved all of his sons equally. Yeah. Thank loved you. his wife and never yeah. – qu- he, he, he declared him legitimate mm-hmm. from day one. Now, however, since Chagatai is bringing that taboo subject right out into the open, uh, Jochi is enraged and and charges him, and they just start beating the shit out of each other in front of their dad. Now, the secret history attributes the next exchange to one of the Khan's advisors, likely because they're trying to avoid showing the Khan in such a sensitive light. Mm -hmm. But realistically, and I kind of side with Jack Weatherford on this, Jack Mm -hmm. Weatherford uh, speculates that this is probably the Khan himself speaking to them as their father. Um, And I think for our narrative, that kind of works best and feels a little more emotionally involved than him sitting there and letting one of his advisors, like, parent his children. Yeah. So he he stands up and he demands silence. Uh, And I'm, you know, I wrote these lines myself, but they're based on what I read in the the secret history. So these are your words. These are my words. And this isn't a direct quote. Yeah. uh, But it's based on what I read. I'm dramatizing a little bit here because I like it. Okay. You don't understand how it was back then, before I brought peace and stability to the steppe. Life was violence and pain, and nobody was safe from it. What happened to your mother then, it was not her fault. She did not go willingly to the arms of another. She did not love another. She was taken. She was stolen from me by men who sought only to rape and kill and steal. Your brother is no bastard. He is my son. He is your mother's son. You and he both sprang from the same hot womb. And if you question the honor of your mother, if you insult the woman who gave you both life with such words, even if you come to regret them and apologize later, there will be no going back. You will never again question Jochi's legitimacy in my presence. Chagatai grinned and came back with this gem. Very well, father, I hear your words, and I accept them. But words are just words. A deer killed by words cannot be loaded onto a horse and brought home. A deer killed by words cannot be skinned and cooked and feed a family. Words will always just be words. And so the Khan realized in that moment that while nobody was going to question Jochi's legitimacy, it didn't mean that they'd change their ideas about it in their hearts. And once once, he was gone, all bets are off. Yeah. Uh, And isn't that the whole point of this whole meeting is to figure out what happens when he dies? So then, surprisingly, Chagatai offers up an alternative in, in a kind of a moment of reconciliation. Uh, if a decision could not be made, then neither he nor Jochi should be the great Khan. Instead, why not give it to the third son? Friendly, easygoing, frequently drunk, Ogade. Yeah, and I like to it. imagine Ogade spitting out his irag in this moment, like, what the fuck, me? <laughs> like, yeah. I, was, I thought you guys were going to fight over this. To- damn, I want this shit, man. <laughs> so Tolui, the youngest, said nothing. Uh, Jochi seemed to be kind of keen on this idea. Uh, even though he's still pissed. And Chagatai seems to be, you know, earnest in his notion. So the Khan agrees. He doesn't really have any other choice. So in parting, he reminds his sons that the earth is vast and the rivers are wide and endless. And so he's going to keep them far apart, Chagatai and Jochi. So they don't have to come into conflict. They don't have to see each other. Uh, There's plenty of room for both of them. And at this point, Borte, based on the dialogue, is presumably still alive. Um, but she kind of just slips out of the narrative. Um, and that's sort of how the secret history handles death, especially of, like, important people. They don't really go into too much detail. Um, so it's generally accepted that she died at some point during this campaign, um, yeah. but likely before the Khan returned home. Mm-hmm. Okay. So after this meeting, Genghis decides to teach his sons about humility. Uh, about putting the people first, about respecting tradition, but also accepting new good ideas when they present themselves. I mean, so at this point, 
Jochi and Chagatai are like openly feuding with one another. Like if they're both conquering a city that's supposed to go to Jochi, Chagatai is like, well, I don't think you're fighting hard enough because you don't want the city to be destroyed because you want it to be in good condition when you take it over. And Jochi's like, well, I think you're trying to kill everyone so that I have no subjects when I take over. And like, it's just yeah. every little thing they're fighting, they're fighting. Yep. So he tells them, he's trying to teach them and it's, he's realizing it's probably too late. He's like, you know, he tells them that an army can be conquered with tactics and better men, but a nation can only be conquered by conquering the hearts of the people. Uh, his men might fear him sometimes, but ask any of them. They also love him and respect him. He cautioned them that conquered people should never be allowed to unite, but should always be kept separate unless they rise up. He told them that they must always have a vision, a goal, and that once that vision becomes blurry, everything else will fall apart. He tries to give them all the knowledge about being an effective leader that he's gleaned over decades in the span of a few years. But I think he's realizing that it's like trying to fill a, a small cup with too much water. The damage is done. He can't. These boys didn't grow up like him. They hadn't known the hardships that had molded him. And wasn't that by design? I mean, isn't that really what every parent these days kind of struggles with? He built yeah. this entire new world with the idea that, that his sons and the other Mongols would inherit it. But in so doing, he had deprived them of the experiences that had made him into the living legend that he was. The only reason Genghis Khan is Genghis Khan is because he came up the way he came up. And these kids were born in the purple. You know what I mean? They were they were a big deal from day one almost, you know? Yep. So in a way, this dilemma, not even in a way, I mean, this dilemma is a microcosm for the changes that are going to befall the Mongol Empire in the coming decades. Uh, but for now... Um, it's just an aging father trying to give his adult sons the love and attention that they'd always needed and realizing that it was likely too late. The boys were men, and they're men who are going to inherit the world. What are they going to do with their inheritance? Well, it's beyond his control. There's nothing he can really do about it. He's going to be gone. Yep. He might be the most powerful man on the planet, but in this, he's totally powerless. And so that's sort of where he's at. You know, He's like at the end of his life, and he's like, fuck, I spent so much time building this empire, I didn't think about who was going to rule it. Yeah. And now my sons all hate each other, and they're selfish and spoiled, and they're not yeah, at all the kind of men. <laughs> yeah, and they're not the kind of men that I want them to be. They're yeah. not like me, you know? So, in 1222, once again the year of the horse, which keeps coming up, mm -hmm. uh, at the city of Multan in modern Pakistan, Genghis Khan ended his campaign in Central Asia. Initially, he had thought he might take all of India, but the humid tropical weather, which he encountered before in China, but it's mm. even worse in India, uh, yeah. decimated his armies and damaged their recurved bows. The glue that held them together started to melt, so they can't shoot straight. And, like, if you're a Mongol warrior and your bow's not working, you're losing your edge pretty quick. Yep. And so he decides to, to put a pin in that plan. Mm. He's not totally abandoning it, but it doesn't need to happen right now. So after retreating back north to the temperate climate of Afghanistan, uh, while preparations are being made for the return to the steppe, Genghis Khan calls for a celebration the likes of which the world had never seen to honor his armies for their stunning conquests. So a massive area, like miles and miles and miles, yeah. is cordoned off with posts and horsehair rope, and the ropes are strung with fluttering leather uh, ribbons. And the largest single hunt in human history is called. Uh, mm -hmm. Basically, his whole army is just going to try to kill as many animals as possible, like to unwind. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the fluttering strips, uh, this is like, I guess an old Mongol tactic. The fluttering strips of leather would blow in the wind and they freak animals out. And so animals would run towards the center. And then basically the whole army charges in and just starts harvesting animals for sport and recreation, but also to resupply the army for the long trek home. 
So all of the Khan's sons are present except for Jochi, who is still, his feelings are hurt. And he's like, mm-hmm. you know what? Fuck this fucking family. I'm not doing this anymore. Yeah. Uh, and so he plays sick and he refuses to show. So the Khan orders him. He's like, no, you're, you're coming. Everyone's here. Yeah. Okay. Like you need to, you need to make an appearance. And he still refuses. And uh, word reaches Genghis Khan that Jochi is holding his own hunt. Not as mm-hmm. impressive, but his men deserve to celebrate. So he just doesn't want to participate. I'll have my own hunt here and we can celebrate. And while this could have turned ugly and come to war between father and son, um, it turns out that the two would never see each other alive again. Mm -hmm. Refusing to return home to Mongolia with everyone else, Jochi would stay behind and uh, would soon thereafter die under mysterious circumstances. So theories have often circulated that the Khan himself or one of the other brothers had him killed. Uh, But it is a mystery. And at this point, you know, who's solving that? Uh, so we'll never really know, but mm-hmm. Jochi's out of the picture and thus commenced a great Nadam or victory procession back to the steppe. Now, if you thought the return from the Jurchid campaign was great, magnify that by a thousand for five years, caravans mm-hmm. make their way in an almost constant stream back into Mongolia, uh, bearing cartloads of every fine thing imaginable and the people, more people of different cultures, religions, and backgrounds than had ever likely congregated in one place on Earth, except maybe in, like, ancient Rome or one of the Chinese imperial capitals. But even including those, this might be, like, the single most diverse gathering of human beings on the planet at that point. Yeah. The step is in its golden era, and every man, woman, and child feels the change tangibly as they are immediately elevated to an entirely new stratum of living. But the Khan was restless. Perhaps he knew his time was limited... Perhaps he simply longed for the march and the glory of battle, but he did not remain home for long. In 1226, he launched a campaign against the Tanguts, an old enemy from 20 years before. The king of the Tanguts had refused him aid in the Khwarezm campaign, uh, with their king sending this like smug, shitty letter declaring, If Genghis Khan is so great, he probably shouldn't need help fighting a war. And if he does need help fighting a war, maybe he shouldn't be fighting in the first place. So Genghis Khan put that in his back pocket, went off, won his war, and I'm sure the Tanga king was like, ah, he'll forget. We know. He doesn't forget. So he's like pushing 70 now, and he's like, all right, time to go teach them a lesson just like everyone else that's ever fucked with me. Mm -hmm. So en route to the Tangut, uh, while crossing the Gobi Desert, Genghis Khan stopped to hunt wild horses. And the secret history describes this scene in detail. Um, They describe the horse he was riding and, you know, what he was doing. Uh, they're into horses, the Mongols. They love this shit. So a lot of detail on horses. Mm-hmm. He's riding a reddish gray horse, fast but easily scared, skittish. And when the wild horses charge at them, his horse is spooked and it tosses the great Khan. Mm-hmm. And he suffers internal injuries, you know, at least broken ribs, stuff. Something's going on. He's not not bouncing back from this one. Yeah. And his remaining wives beg him to abandon the campaign and leave it to his generals, but he refuses. He has to teach this Tangut king a lesson. And hadn't they heard? This new Tangut king's name was Burkhan, just mm-hmm. like the sacred mountain Burkhan Khaldun, which is blasphemy. We can't just let this guy walk around with the same name as the sacred mountain. Mm-hmm. So he presses on. He fights the Tangut. He crushes them, which everybody knew he would do. He captures their king. He forces him at sword point to change his name and then kills him. You're not going to die fucking Burkhan, I'll tell you that much. Like, it's it's kick-ass. Like, it's such an awesome thing to do. He's like, I don't like your stupid fucking name. Change yeah, change it. change it. All right. And then he fucking yeah. kills him. Like, it's just, it's some mafia shit. It's awesome. 
So six months after his fall on the 25th of August, 1227, Year of the Pig, with the death blow against the Tonga just a few days away, uh, the secret history reports very simply that Genghis Khan, the scourge of God, the man who would conquer the world, Mm -hmm. he died. And there's not a whole lot more detail than that. Um, There's been embellishment by, like, you know, foreign historians and stuff who want to make it dramatic, but according to the Mongols' own source, uh, they don't really dwell on it because that would be sort of profane um, to discuss the details of the death of the greatest Mongol who ever lived. Yep. So his body was cleaned and dressed in white. Uh, He was wrapped in a blanket, which was filled with aromatic sandalwood, and he was bound with golden straps. And then after three days of prayer, the body was loaded onto a simple unadorned cart and was brought home. The Khan's sulde, the horsehair banner uh, carrying his soul, was carried in front of the body, and behind was a horse wearing the Khan's empty saddle. And they made their way back to the Mongolian steppe. Mm-hmm. Genghis Khan is dead. Dead. And thus ends the first cycle of Left on Red's history of the Mongol Empire. That's it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. My voice is tired. Yeah. Yeah, so Joe Biden gave some kind of talk, and I guess, like... <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, moving right along. Yeah, yeah. He gave some kind of talk while we were recording. Uh, and I know what the hell I'm doing. I've been president, and I put this country back on its feet. I don't need his recommendation. It's How totally bad out. is your memory, and can you continue as president? My memory is so bad, I let you speak. That's, uh, that's, that's what your memory has gotten worse. Well, me, I'm an elderly man, and I know what the- Oh, God, dude, he is so cooked. Dude. <laughs> oh, my oh, God. no. My memory is so bad, I'll let you speak. He apparently also uh, made reference to a uh, Israeli-Mexican um, war, because he can confuse Mexico and Egypt. <laughs> like the border, uh, so oh. I, it's, out, it's from what yeah, I everyone's gathered, on the border with Mexico. Yeah, so uh, from what I gathered, um, briefly while while scrolling this, uh, it sounds like he has just face planted completely in the speech where he's trying to say that yeah. now nah, he can keep going as president. Yeah, that's yeah, that's alarming, dude. It's old as fuck, dude. Yeah, just he's, retire, he's, bro. Like, what the old. fuck? He's old. Enjoy the last few years of your life. It yeah. seems like. You probably don't got too many more. Oh, left. once he's not the president, yeah. he's gonna die so quick. Yeah. Once he doesn't have like the adrenaline and the straight up legit yeah. like amphetamine. Just not getting, getting the syringe from Anthony Blinken like yeah. every few hours. I mean, the dude has had so much plastic surgery. Oh, he it's looks like, horrible. He, dude, he has a new face every time I see him. Yeah, he looks horrible. Like he's gotten like fillers and shit. He's gotten like fucking facelifts. Yeah, it's like it, dude. It is. He looks different than he did when he got elected. Yeah. Oh yeah, like it's it's, and I don't yeah. know if they're trying to make him look younger, but that's what fuels yeah. this. Like, oh, he's an imposter. It's not really him. It's like, no, it's him. He's I just... do agree that there's many different Joe Bidens. I think that they're all just have been in the same body. Yeah, it's just yeah. a different face every few months. Yeah, yeah. same Joe, different <laughs> yeah. face. Yeah, he's like a faceless man. Oh, yeah, he's uh... well, he's starting to look like um, Gwynplaine, the man who laughs. Oh yeah, yeah. Or the man who laughed, whatever it is. Oh. The man who smiles? The man who smiles. Yeah. The man who smiles. Yeah, that's oh. what it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if you if you enjoyed this series or any of our others or any of our episodes and you would like to contribute in some way to the podcast, you can find us on Patreon. That is at patreon.com backslash left unread. Uh, and you can contribute a small monthly amount to help keep the podcast going. 
Um, and if you can't afford or, you know, if you just don't feel like it right now um, to contributing to the podcast, you can help us in otherwise. You can, in other ways. You can rate and review us on your podcast app of choice. You can uh, help us spread by word of mouth. That's really how we do spread is pretty much by word of mouth. So you can tell your friends, tell your family members, your coworkers, whatever about us. And um, yeah, and eventually once we do get a certain amount of uh, Patreon subscribers, once we get up to about 50 um, we'll start doing uh, bonus content for our subscribers once it's economically feasible. Mm-hmm. But um, this is uh, this is a lot of work putting this podcast together, and it costs us money. So yep. um, while we are while this is a labor of love, it would definitely help us if you could pitch in anything if you can afford it. One hundred percent. Yeah, uh, we appreciate everybody that has already signed up. That's mm-hmm. that's already started to be helpful. Um, and mm-hmm. we've largely recouped the costs costs of starting the show uh, years yep. ago, and yeah, we're excited. We're excited. We've got some mm-hmm. cool stuff planned for the year. Um, I appreciate you guys being so patient with uh, getting to the end of this series. Well, it's not the mm-hmm. end because I am going to come back, and don't worry, we'll hear mm-hmm. what happens to 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 Chagatai and Ogade and Tolui. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, you've probably heard of a little guy named Kublai Khan and. No. You know, there's there's more to the story to tell, but the man who drunk the milk of paradise. Yeah, but we are gonna take a little break, ski, and uh, yeah. talk about not from doing episodes, just from this, yeah. and um, yeah, we'll move on to some other cool history stuff because mm-hmm. uh, this is a history show ostensibly, and uh, we're gonna try to do more Half of the that. Time. Half the time. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, right. Yeah. Well, thank you, and we will see you guys next time. Peace. Hey.